Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Global Geek News Podcast. This is episode number 27 for the Global Geek News Podcast. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Bray, alongside my co-host, Wesley Faulkner. How's it going, Wesley? Hey, Jeremy. Yeah, what's new with you? Uh, we are almost about to launch another beta version of our AMD, uh, AMD uh, Explorer, Media Explorer, and... Uh, so things at work are calming down in anticipation of the release. Well, that's good. I can't wait to try that out. That should be fun to play with. I always enjoy playing with new media stuff. I don't know why. I just lately I've gotten into this thing where I'm always trying to stream media to every device possible and try it out through different like sets of speakers and whatever I can just to see what's the best thing out there. Have you tried the streaming uh, in Windows Media Player 11? No, I haven't. I've been meaning to, but lately I've just been relying on Orb more than anything else. I've been a big fan of Orb for I don't know how many years, probably three or four years. Yeah, I've I've heard some good things about Windows Media Player 11 and um, when the new revamped version of the... um, uh, home media server when that comes out that you can store everything on there and just you right click on a song and you say play to and you choose any computer in your house or any device maybe in your Xbox 360 and it'll just go to that device and just play there. Huh. I'll check it out. It seems like most most of my streaming I do to my PS3 more than anything. Once in a while I'll try and do it to my 360 but that seems to just give me more issues and than it's worth. And, and the PS3 seems to be a whole lot faster when I'm doing it off of Orb than I'm trying to do it with my 360. So usually when I want to stream something to my TV, that's usually what I do it through. Well, if if uh, Orb works with your PS3, then most likely your PS3 is DLA compliant. Yes. And if that's so, then uh, it should work for that too. You should be able to say play to uh, PS3. Yeah, I'll have to try that out. I've actually been looking at getting the new Acer Aspire home server, which I can't remember the exact model number. If you go to Amazon and search Acer Aspire home server, it's it's got a nice little home server in there that runs off a Windows, whatever the latest version of Windows Server is, 2008 or whatever, that is supposed to be made for file storage and streaming and stuff like that. And I've been thinking about moving over to that because I need the extra extra storage anyway. I think I saw that over um, during CS. I think they had in their booth. Um, the thing that, if we're talking about the same thing, the first impressions I had was one, it's tiny, and two, um, because of the footprint, I didn't know if it had uh, more than two hard drives in that bugger. Uh, the one I'm looking at it has four hard drives. It apparently it comes with one one terabyte hard drive, and then I've got three others laying around that I was putting together a NAS for that I'd put it, put into it, but it's supposed to hold four hard drives. It doesn't look that much bigger than a Drobo, to be honest. But mm. I can't really tell entirely from the pictures, but that that's about, like, the size of it, from what I can tell, is, like, maybe just slightly larger than a Drobo. Yeah. I've, I know a lot of people swear by those things, the Drobo, but for, for, for the feature set, it looks like the Windows Home Server's the way to go. Yeah, there's I really want a Drobo, but there's two things about it. One is it's a little on the expensive side, and two, it doesn't have built-in gigabit Ethernet. To be able to share it over your network, 
you have to get the Drobo share, which is like an extra $200, and put it underneath it, and even then, it's just a USB to port that plugs into that, so you're right. not getting gigabit speeds, and when I'm streaming like H- HD quality video and stuff, I kind of need those speeds. Yeah, and also the uh, application uh, library is very restrictive. I mean, there's not a lot of software you can run on that as opposed to a home server. Yeah, I, I hear there's some neat applications for it, but I haven't really looked into it too much just because it's a little on the out-of-my-price-range area. Yeah. But Well, speaking of applications, apparently there's a student who released a code from an application that he had for a college class, and he's accused of cheating for it. Well, the professor threatened him to fail fail him in the course if he posted the source code to one of his uh, one of his assignments. He was uh, in programming, uh, was a computer yeah. science, and uh, he wrote a program. And after the assignment was turned in, and after it was graded, and, and some time had passed, he wanted to go ahead and post the source code to the answer to, um, I guess, some sort of public uh, repository. And and that's when they had a little. Uh, uh, difference of opinion between him and the professor. Yeah, apparently this went all the way to the computer science department chair, or the the head of it or whatever, said it wasn't in any kind of an ethical violation of any kind. And hang on, i got to stop for just a second. And anyway, um, apparently this, and I guess this uh, department hair chair cited on the side of the student, basically the student just wanted to open source his code so others can look at it after the assignment was due. So it's not like he was trying to share the code for the assignment, it was just afterwards. The whole issue Mm -hmm. here is apparently a lot of professors, and I know this from experience, like to reuse their assignments, especially when it comes to programming. So they just use the same program every semester, every other semester. I've seen ones that use it every three semesters, and you never know which one you're going to get, so it makes it harder for people to cheat or whatever, but I don't know, to me this seems like a great idea, more, just more code that's out there that people can learn from, and at the same time the professors have to come up with something new every time to keep challenging their students. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, it's, it's work for the students, so it should be some work for the professors, and professors shouldn't be allowed to just skate on through uh, rehashing whatever they have in their vaults of assignments and not trying to change with the times or just keep it up to date. Uh, I know basic routines are tried and true, like bubble sort and all this other stuff that you do in programming that everybody has to do. Um, But I, I agree. I mean, this is the student's property. He did the work in it. I know I did in college. I did programs that I kept tweaking even after the assignment was due to say to do to you know scan for a couple different error conditions, uh, try different uh, range numbers to see if um, I could expand it out to 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 go beyond what the original assignment called for, and I, I think this is a great teaching tool. Uh, for other people who might look at this later on. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. When I, whenever I, just because I know that professors do this, especially the professors I've had in the past, I've been known to just search for the assignment and stuff on the internet 
after as soon as I get it just to see if the code's out there. But I mean, if the professors weren't doing that and coming up with something unique every time, yet still around the same difficulty level, I don't think it would be that big of an issue. And a lot of times some of the code that they can use here might end up in some actual like open source project or something, which would be even better. Yeah, or even or they just want a way to put it out there and then be able to come to it later. I know that uh, when I was writing programs back in college, I mean, I, I stored them on floppy disk, and I have no idea where that stuff is now. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I've always heard is a lot of times uh, when you're going in for an interview for like a programming job, a lot of times they'll want to see some of your work in code. Well, when you, if you don't have some kind of a side project that you've worked on that you can show code for, which you should, I mean, being able to have something at least from a project that you did in school or something as homework just, just to show that you kind of know your stuff is better than nothing. Yeah. Well, one program that will be permanently lost, at least in Europe, will be Internet Explorer. Yeah, I don't know if I'd necessarily perm say permanently lost, but in Windows 7, just so that Microsoft plies with the European Union, they've decided to strip out Internet Explorer, I guess entirely, from Windows 7, calling it Windows 7e, kind of similar to Windows XP in, which stripped out uh, Windows Media Player. Yeah, and this version will only be available in Europe and nowhere else, just... Uh... I guess to give the Europe the middle finger when it comes to browsing the web. Yeah, so I'm I'm wondering, does this mean there's oh, like double the amount of SKUs for Windows 7? I mean, they got the ones for everybody else, but then they've got like, does this mean they're going to have Starter, Home Premium, Home Basic, Ultimate, and everything else all over again in Europe too? Yeah, so they're going to have the E variant which is all the same versions, but with an E, which means no Internet Explorer. And my guess is, yes, they're going to duplicate everything and just not include Internet Explorer. Yeah, seems a bit a little on the dumb side to me. But at the same time, this could be good for other browsers. And you can still get a browser, or you can still get a browser with Windows 7, but you're probably going to have to go through some kind of uh, vendor of some kind, whether it's like a Dell or HP or whoever. So, And when they get it and they install it on your machine, they basically can choose for you whether or not you want. they want to put Firefox on there, Internet Explorer, Opera, Safari, Chrome, whatever. And I would assume that that would probably be an option, a customization option for when you order a new machine. Or at least that would be my guess. But if you uh, if you grabbed um, a brand new copy off the shelf in retail and you install this on a computer, you will not have a web browser. So the only way that you would and also bundling a web browser, even though it's probably going to happen with an OEM, it is entirely optional. Um, what the EU wanted is that for Microsoft to bundle multiple uh, web browsers and I can tell you that's not something that I, that they wanted to do, Microsoft, because uh, they would be responsible with different versions. Or what if um, they shipped 
let's say Firefox 3.5 and there's a big glaring hole in it, um, they would they, Microsoft would be held responsible for making sure that that browser got, uh, got updated. Um, go ahead. Yeah, well, this is pretty much the only real option that I think they really had, and basically the main downside here is you get people that want to buy the disks and install it themselves, and basically they have no browser, and yeah, it's going to piss them off, and they'll, but in the end, all Microsoft has to do is just point to the EU and said, it's their, they're yep. the one that did it, and yeah. in the end, I mean, it's not that big a deal. You can always go to a friend and say, hey, download Internet Explorer for me onto this thumb drive, or download Firefox, or whatever. Right, or rip up uh, a command line window and get it done. Yeah. Um, or um, possibility, we, as we talked before the podcast, maybe they'll still offer an Explorer through Windows Update. Yeah, that that would be one way of distributing it. I would think that would be what they would do, because they're always, whenever a new version of Internet Explorer comes out, it always shows up in Windows updates, not to mention all the updates for it. But I, I would think that would be the way they would do it, just so they don't lose any more market share than necessary. Yeah. Or they could just uh, send it with a modified version of uh, a help file, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you go to Windows Help saying, "I you type in I need Internet Explorer or I want to surf the web," and then it comes up with, uh, you know, their uh, their help documents are rich HTML. Basically, you could probably click a link and it could start a download of Internet Explorer. Yeah, there's a lot of options. Even if you're buying a CD in a store, if they had like a stand sitting up next to the store that are just like free discs with IE in it, the way that AOL used to have their discs of a bajillion free hours, I mean, that would be a pretty good option too. Yeah, the the one question I have from the stories is whether or not they are not shipping... Internet Explorer at all in the code, meaning that um, there's an option where you can uninstall Internet Explorer through the control panel. I wonder if they just are shipping versions, this e version with it uninstalled, in which you might be able to find in the settings uh, and then be able to turn that option on and then get it reinstalled from the code base that's already included. Um, or if they're totally wiping all of that option out all completely. I would probably assume that the code's going to be there just so it doesn't screw anything up. Because, as I recall, it seems like even with Windows 7, I think you can uninstall it, but everything's still technically there. It's just that you can't run IE at that point, if I remember correct. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing that's kind of the way it's going to work, just so they don't have to have any more issues than necessary. As soon as I get a chance, I'm going to try to download and play with this E version uh, of of Windows 7. I'm currently running the 7229 build and uh, I, it, right now I can tell you the e-versions are not available right now. Yeah, the build I'm running on everything is 7100. I haven't tried getting anything since then. I know there's new stuff out, I just haven't tried getting it. Or when I say out, I mean it's out on torrents. Well, well, Which, yeah. <laughs> in my world, that means it's out. So... One thing that it might not be in is on netbooks. Right. That I was kind of surprised by this story. Apparently, um, Microsoft could be looking to price Windows Starter, Windows 7 Starter Edition, much higher than what they were charging the licensing fee for 
for XP for things like netbooks, which XP runs a uh, uh, manufacturer $15 a copy, whereas apparently for Windows 7, their Microsoft is asking 45 to $55 per copy of Starter Edition. Yeah, this um, sounds like a little bit of gouging, um, but uh, I wonder if by any chances, could this be a way to try to push up the prices of netbooks so they become less attractive and people would want to buy, instead of the starting ed- starter edition, a full computer that will come with the home premium? I think that's part of it. Microsoft has never really liked netbooks from the beginning just because they all run, they either run Linux or they run Windows XP. And XP, they're not making really any money off of it compared to Windows Vista. That's why their last quarter wasn't, I think they, was a, they their profits didn't grow or they lost money or whatever. And that was largely wise because netbooks are so hot right now, or they were, I think they're starting to cool off right now. But if they're only making $15 a copy with XP compared to what they would be making on Vista, and it kind of makes sense. And they and I know they were talking about um, Windows 7 going to be considerably more expensive than Vista, so I'm guessing this is kind of an indication of that, and I'm really curious to see what the consumer end of it's going to be for, like, if you want to buy Ultimate or something like that, what the price is going to be for that. Yeah, I think they might be taking a little bit of uh, advantage of people because they they feel that uh, they have a winner with 7, and there's a little bit of intent demand of people who are on older XPs and people who are tired of the current Vistas um, to move over to 7. And I think maybe they think um, they can price it in such a way that um, they can sell it regardless of the price. Yeah, it'll be... I'll be... It'll be interesting to see. Well, and I don't think anybody really wants the Windows 7 Starter Edition anyway, and it's basically a crippled OS. It can do some stuff. I mean, at least they've taken the three-app limit off of it, but still, you can't even do things like change your own wallpaper with it. So why anybody would really want that anyway is beyond me. But I I think it kind of goes back to Predictably Irrational, the book that I'm constantly talking about by... Dan Ariely, which check out the book on Amazon or Audible. I personally have it off of Audible. Great book. But it's I think it's basically about trying to upsell everything else just because you've got this thing that looks like a piece of junk. So it's going to be a whole lot easier to sell something like a home premium or an ultimate. Well, I would I would buy Starter Edition um, for like you know, my parents or my in-laws. They have older computers that have XP on them that I they constantly need help with. I would load 7 on there just so um, I would get some of the advantages of a newer operating system um, and not have to worry about uh, relearning to navigate an older operating system. Because constantly they say, I need to know how to do this, and I have to think back, okay, because I, I use Vista, and so I have to think back about, okay, how did you do that in XP? I, and, and I'm trying to go through... Uh, from memory of uh, older operating system. Yeah, that that's kind of an issue for me in the past, is I tend to be tech support for all my family and friends and whatever. So a lot of times it wasn't until 
was it Black Friday that my grandparents finally went from Windows 98 to Vista, so up until that point I was trying to do everything I could to remember where things were in Windows 98 so that whenever something happened I could try and fix it. Right. So you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, definitely. There seems to be a little bit of static on your end. You in a windstorm there? Or? Uh, no, I leaned back in my chair. Is that better? Yeah, that works. Just It just sounded okay, like there sorry. was some wind or something. I didn't know what was going on. But, yeah, I, I have a feeling that this is probably just a way to keep, keep uh, people from buying Windows 7 Starter Edition and make the others seem a little bit more attractive. Yeah, I think they're also doing a little temperature um, temperature measuring, you know, sticking out the thermometer. I mean, they, they did the whole, they, like you mentioned, the three app limit, and they changed that, and the price, they're going to say it's too high. They're trying to see what people's reaction is and gauge it a little bit. Um, I think that they, they probably will um, take this feedback and adjust adjust it. Um, I, I would say probably when we come to market, it's probably going to be closer to probably uh, 25 to $30 instead of this 45 to 55 They're going to lower it, but still it's going to be a premium. Um, you might see uh, Windows XP uh, netbooks right next to Windows 7 netbooks, um, or you might have a, a, a cheap, cheap, cheap uh, XP netbook and like a little higher end premium netbook that has 7 on it. Um, but either way, I mean, people are going to be asking for this uh, regardless of the price, even if it's a small premium. Uh, if people are still going to buy netbooks, they're going to want 7 on it. Yeah, well, I don't think. I think Windows 7 is out. Um, XP even for netbooks won't be around much longer, which I'm sure that'll piss the Russians off if you listened to our last week when we talked about the Russians not being too happy of about XP licenses slowing down for what they're selling in Russia. But yeah, I, I don't see it sticking around a whole lot longer just because they've been trying to get rid of it for a long time because it's something old and insecure and they don't really want to keep supporting it any longer than they have to and considering just how wonderfully Windows 7 runs on netbooks I don't see any reason for manufacturers not to put Windows 7 on there yeah I agree and and I I think the people are going to want it yeah especially with the power saving features and all it's 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 I could see I I could see uh, Windows 7 uh not being on an epic. Yeah, well, that was one of the things that first amazed me when I got when I put Windows 7 on my Acer Aspire 1. It gave me like an extra hour of battery life compared to what I was getting on XP. I it it just blew me away how much extra battery life I actually got from it. Yeah, and, and it's it's awesome from from all the readings that we do at least internally. In our testing. Yeah, yeah, it's fun stuff. But what's not fun stuff is apparently um, computer techs have the right to search your PC. Or at least the Supreme Court declined a case on attempting to overturn that idea. Yeah, some guy um, took his computer into, I think, Best Buy, and they found some child porn on it. Uh, No, it says Circuit City. Um, And there, he, I think, had a DVD player installed, and uh, they found child porn and turned it into the, comp- the police. And um, he took it to took it to court, and apparently um, he won initially. Mm-hmm. And then uh, then it was on appeal, he lost, 
I think the or something like that. And then he tried to appeal it again, and the Supreme Court uh, chose not to hear it, which basically means that they up, uh, upheld the ruling from the previous court, which says that uh, that Circuit City had the right to look at it because he gave it over to them to do what they will with it. Yeah, it seems like I covered this story on an older podcast before you came on. But yeah, this, this story seemed little strange from the get-go and guy goes into circuit city wants a new dvd player and all they say okay sure well when the employee installed it he wanted to check and make sure it worked and for some reason he just did a scan of the hard drive or whatever to find some videos to play which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me and ended up finding child porn on there and and now this is it seems like it could be close to finally being over now and that that was what was it a year or two ago this story first broke yeah this happens to me all the time i take my computer my car in to get serviced Mm -hmm. i say um it my freaking engine's making a noise and then they come back and they tell me that uh my tires are bald and i need new tires i was like well i brought it in for my engine while you're looking at my tires it's the same kind of Mm -hmm. thing Someone brought it in for a DVD player, and they just looked around the computer and found this. Um, Whenever you hand over anything of value, um, you have to protect it like you would uh, relative to its importance. So if he really wanted to hide his files, he should have encrypted them, put them on a removal drive, and and to to help uh, take care of his data as if it was that important. So the same thing, he didn't take the care of hiding it, um, so uh, he can only expect that it would be seen. Yeah. Well, and I, I've i heard lots of stories over the years of, like, Geek Squad employees and stuff, where a lot of times when somebody brings their computer in, they'll do a search for whatever files, and they'll take copies of music and porn and whatever, and then share it all amongst the Geek Squad employees. So... You, gotta, you have to be really be careful of, with your data and everything whenever you take your stuff into a computer tech place, whether it's a, like a Circuit City, like in this case, which they're gone now anyway, but mm-hmm. or a Geek Squad, or even if it's just your local place down the street, which I happen to have one actually around the corner from my house. Yeah, uh, ignorance to the law or ignorance of your computer is no excuse. Yeah. Yep, sad stuff. But speaking of court cases, the top French court has declared that Internet access is a basic human right and essentially thrown out the three strikes law that was recently passed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so I think we have, what, food, water, shelter, clothing, and now Internet? Yeah, Yeah, clothing, Internet. Yeah, pretty much. And really, it makes a lot of sense. I've been kind of saying that it's a human right for a long time now, just because everything is pretty much on the internet and focused online now, so and and that's where it's going to continue to go, so not being able to have access is a huge disadvantage to, to people. Yeah, it's an awesome tool. It's uh, the Swiss Army knife of life, almost. I mean, you can get 
whatever you need from it, as in uh, you can pay your bills, you can receive your bills, you can order things, you can get them delivered, you could pay your taxes, uh, you could uh, get a degree online. There's a lot of things that um, that you would lose if for some reason you had no access to the internet. I, I was trying to imagine the other day of how um, Kevin McNick mm-hmm. felt when he left jail and he couldn't use the internet for like something like 10 years or something like that. Yeah, I, I had a hard enough time on Saturday. Saturday I went trap shooting and I've, for all but a few minutes in the morning and then late in the evening I was completely cut off. No internet, no cell phone, no Blackberry because I was up in the mountains. I had no cell phone coverage at all and I felt very much isolated. I don't even remember the last time I've actually had a disconnected day like that and I gotta say the withdrawals weren't that bad just because I had some good company that I was with and I was having a fun time but if I wasn't around those people and doing what I was doing I don't know if I could live without the internet. I would probably go crazy. Yeah, we we couldn't uh, do this podcast without the internet, so I hear. Yeah, unless we started, unless we traveled to each other every week and did a show in person. Yeah. Oh, uh, truth be told, we have never met. Yeah, that's right. We need to. Uh, isn't that weird? Yeah, we need to change that at some point. I, I mean, I meant to come down <laughs> to South by Southwest. I never made it. But yeah, we need to meet at some point. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, it's it's kind of weird of how relationships are formed just because of the internet. Um, there's an article in the internet formed over 1.4 million jobs. Uh, there are industries formed around the internet. There are marketing schemes around the internet. Um, it's it's becoming the next way or the the, the next way of touching someone either. Um, in your neighborhood or across the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how many people I talk with on almost a daily basis that are can be anywhere around the world. I mean, I talk with people on both coasts all the time. Um, just lately, I've been speaking to people in other countries. It used to be where I used to work a lot with people in England when I used to run some or I used to work on some uh, video game fan sites, but. Yeah, and it's basically shaped my life for the most part. I I certainly can't imagine my life without it. But All right. In this case, and it, sorry, just to delve a little deeper in the 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 actual story. Um, this was this is harking back, starting with the uh, three strikes ruling, and um, in France, where if you got three warnings that you're downloading illegal material, they were cut off your internet access, um, and uh, they would just just cut you off um, without you having the chance to defend yourself. And I, I, I know that there is some remote monitoring of uh, hospital patients through the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, um, since this was being an ISP cutting you off, this could be your kid could be using the internet at night while you're asleep and you wake up in the morning and you're no longer able to go to work, especially if you work from home or you telecommute because your internet could be cut off and you would have no no way of getting it turned back on or uh, knowing why that happened. Um, 
someone could hop on your, your open Wi-Fi and uh, cause this to happen. Um, it, this is just uh, a travesty, and I'm glad that the, the court, even though it's leftist leaning, found in favor of not allowing uh, the current actions uh, to the, or the current law to stand the way it was. Yeah, it was. It's something I've been fighting for a while. It, the whole concept is just crazy, and especially like you mentioned, people jumping on your Wi-Fi and using it, which kind of leads right into our next story, where a court in Rome has ruled that an IP address is not is insufficient to identify a pirate. I mean, basically, an IP address is tied to a person's account. Well, like if you have a Comcast, that um, IP address is going to be tied to your Comcast account, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's you pirating the material, because you could have any number of connections coming from your house. You could have an open Wi-Fi that the whole neighborhood can leech off of, and it could be any one of your neighbors that could be downloading pirated music or whatever, and yet you're still the one that would be sued for it. Yeah, this just means that the the police are going to have to work that much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and an IP address is just circumstantial. Uh, circumstantial. Even uh, having uh, illegal files on a computer is circumstantial. Anyone could have put them there. Uh, but everybody knows if you get enough circumstantial evidence together, you can get a conviction. So this just means that um, they just need to work a little harder to put a case together. And, um, and it's not going to be as easy as in we have this number on this sheet of paper and we have this record here, and you're going to jail. There's no more slam dunks. Yeah, this this is one of the things that's been that's bugged me about it for quite a while. I don't know if how much you've paid much attention, considering how many piracy stories we do on the show, plus how many mm-hmm. stories I cover in the blog and stuff. But when it comes to this stuff, I'm I would say that I'm kind of active in the scene, especially considering the fact that I am a pirate. But I, I'm usually watching these things like crazy and pointing out these things, the fact that an IP address does not identify a person, it identifies a connection, and among other things. And what amazes me is that they can't seem to get this through the head of judges and juries and whatever, even when they bring in experts, which half the time they still don't, the experts don't even know what they're talking about. But still, the fact that they can't, that a lot of people don't get this, that Rome is actually the first one to come up with this, seems a little strange to me. I wonder if they would ever segment courts out, because um, there are family courts where you know family violence and, and divorce issues and that kind of stuff gets moved over to. And then there's, uh, you know, specialty courts, depending on the situation. If, I wonder if there would ever be an internet court. I mean, we're seeing more and more of these stories come out. Um, and I would like to say that I am not a pirate, but I do play one on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's quite the shirt you had today for not being a pirate. Yeah. I'm a sympathizer. <laughs> yeah, you're not the only one. Speaking of which, I need to find me some good pirate t-shirts. I have to go on to Think Geek and see what they have later on great site for good geek shirts for and yeah. a lot of other things if you're a geek but I got mine from Woot I don't remember seeing that one on there but then again I don't go to shirts.woot.com very often yeah I don't either it's just I, I hop in there and, um, 
sometimes I get a nice good find, and that's what I got this one. Hmm. Yeah, most of my stuff... Uh, I, can't, I can't even remember where the last stuff I've got from. I, I think lately I've been getting my stuff from Jinx, because they tend to have a lot of the, like the podcasts and stuff that I listen to. I think I think I got my Dignation shirt from them. I know I got my. I think I got my. Did I get my No Agenda shirt from them? No, it was the Cranky Geeks that yeah. I got from them. No Agenda I got from. I think Angry shirts. I think. Ever check out Threadless? No, I have. I've, I've heard of them, but I've never checked them out. Yeah, I have a, a, a few shirts from them. They're pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, I need to get more shirts. A lot of the shirts I have are years old, and they've got more holes in them than I have arms and legs to put them through. Oh, well, maybe you already have a pirate shirt then. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. <laughs> a different kind, though. Yeah. Well, speaking of piracy, apparently stern letters in the UK don't really work to stop peer-to-peer usage. Well, that threat's kind of uh, uh, a moot point, point because uh, the UK government has already said that they will not disconnect people for piracy and so um, apparently this is what what Jeremy's talking about is uh, a survey went out um, I think what they said a year ago or so yeah. and they said that 70% of the people said if they got a letter saying that you know we found you we're downloading illegal material and we'll disconnect you that 70% said that, that they would stop and change their behavior um, but since you know the government in, in the UK, well, this is Great Britain or UK? The yeah. UK um, said that, you know, we're not going to do that. We're not going to disconnect people. The, the letter lost a lot. It's uh, uh, it's teeth, and uh, only 33% said they would change their behavior. Yeah, although if they decided, okay, yeah, we are going to disconnect you, apparently that, jump, that number jumps up to 80%. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know if... Well, the thing is, a lot of them apparently they'll send a lot of them will still send out these letters in the UK saying we've caught you file sharing. Please send us 600 pounds, or I, I think that's what I saw was like 600 pounds, something like that. Um, what? Yeah, actually, this was I think I saw this as part of it's towards the bottom of the last story. They'd still send out these letters. And the are these threats and demand settlements, even though there's no real teeth to back it up, and they just hope that people are dumb enough to actually send them the money. Oh man, I would take a dump on that letter and mail it right back. Yeah, when a, whenever I get mail, I don't want. I usually usually they send their own little self-addressed envelope that's pre that's got the postage prepaid and everything. Usually I shove all their crap, including the le- the envelope that they sent it in, all into that envelope and stick it in the mail and send it back to them. They, I, that's how I've cut down on pretty much all of my junk mail. Right. Yeah, because they still have to pay for the postage. Yeah. Well, not to mention if you get it, enough stuff um, stuffed in there, they have to pay like an oversized fee or whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's kind of nice. That, that's how I got Capital <laughs> One to stop sending me stuff. I used to get like junk from Capital One practically every week. I, all I had to do was do that once, and they stopped sending me stuff. That's that's good. Yeah, <laughs> I need. I, I'll I'll start doing that for now on. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a real effective way, and if they don't stop doing it, stick a bunch of stick something heavy in there, like a bunch of 
pennies or something, something that you don't really care about. So they have to pay overweight fees and stuff. That's that's what usually gets them. So, yeah. But I, 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 we're going back to the story right yeah. quick. I can understand that 20% that said that they wouldn't change their behavior because I know moving to another ISP is a hassle, but, I mean, it's not something that you might say, oh, well, I kn- now I know where the limits are, and then just go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's plenty of ISPs out there to switch to. I mean, even if it's, you know, here we have cable and DSL, uh, and uh, we have Fios and Uverse, then then you can move a step for- further and go to the wireless carriers here. We have... AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, uh, T-Mobile, all those have USB adapters that you can plug into it. Even NVNOs like um, like Cricket Wireless and Boost Mobile, they even have wireless plans, so um, they can't ban you from all of them. Yeah, around here, I know I've heard of a number of people getting banned, especially from like Comcast and stuff. If you um, go over your uh, cap for two months in a row, which is 250 gigs, which, if you're uh-huh. going over that two months in a row, you've got issues. I'm a pirate. I download all kinds of crap, and I still don't come even anywhere close. I don't. I don't even remember the last month that I actually hit over a hundred gigs in a month. That's up and down. But anyway, right. Um, there's companies that have those limits, and if you ha- if you violate it like two months in a row or whatever, they'll disconnect you. I don't know if I've ever really heard of any of them disconnecting for piracy. Usually, they just pass along anything that comes from the RIAA or whatever and whatever lawsuits come from it are your problem and they pretty much stay out of it yeah uh, 250 gigs and they went over it two months in a row I wonder if they're like a Google node or something uh, I think it's a lot of people doing a lot of streaming stuff and downloading more than anything mm. but yeah, well, one of the reasons I haven't been downloading that much is because I've run out of room on all my hard drives. That's why I, that's why I'm looking into that Acer Aspire home server. Mm. But well, um, also you're probably downloading less music and uh, playing more video games. I, yeah, that is actually true. I mean, I don't even I can't even remember the last time I downloaded any music. And actually, ironically, ironically, the last time I downloaded music, I per- I actually purchased it, and that was from Amazon. But yeah, I I spend I don't know how many hours anymore playing video games and watching movies from Netflix, whereas most of my music is just what I've happened to have collected over the years, and I and I never really listen to much of anything new because I don't really listen to the radio to find anything new. But then again, I don't care for much of the new music in America lately anyway. Yeah, well, that leads us into our next story, saying that games, DVD sales are hurting music industry more than downloads. Yeah, and to me, this just kind of makes... Duh. Yeah. <laughs> well, it seems like I saw a story about this, like, last year, too, where um, DVDs and games were cutting into it, and that it seems to be a whole lot more obvious... Because especially considering, I think we've reported on stories here. I know I've reported on them somewhere, whether it's here or the blog, which globalgeeknews.com/blog. That's the first plug. I forgot plug it, and also um, it's a little bit late to plug it now. But for the show notes, globalgeeknews.com if you want to follow along. Anyway, I know I've reported on it here, Geek News Daily, so- somewhere that um, a lot of people that actually pirate stuff are far more likely to 
um, actually go and buy it. So to say that downloads are really hurting it isn't that true. It's pretty much just the consumption of other media, like games and stuff that are that's far more interactive. Yeah, and if you look at the sales here, the figures at the end, they're saying that game spending has risen dramatically, while music spending has gone down just a little bit. So the numbers they have quoted here from 1999, um, the video game business was a 1.1 or 1.2 billion dollar business. Um, that's uh, that's in pounds actually, uh, and uh, in 2008 it jumped up to the four billion pounds. Meanwhile, the music spending has gone down from 1.9 for the same time period to 1.3 billion, which is, if you look at the figures, it went down 600 million pounds, mm-hmm. but the video game business went up close to 3 billion pounds. So there's there's more money in the pool, it's just less of it's going over to video game. I mean, uh, to music. Yeah, I'm thinking this is just a story in the out of the UK rather than kind of a global story just because I know game sales figures are a whole lot higher than that I, I know they're right. I want to say they're like in the 13 million dollar range but I'm not positive on that it, it, I think it's kind of in that area anyway but I think it's proportional yeah. I think it's close um, and a lot of people are or at least this article is stating that how it's, it's uh, killing the music industry but um, if you look at it another way, uh, music is very integral in video games and in movies. Um, the, they're very important parts of those. And uh, Jonathan Colton, I think he got uh, rocketed up to more publicity uh, from uh, from the Portal game than anything. And so um, I just think this is changing. But music is not going to go away. It just may not be the same industry um, that they're used to. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think that they really need to figure out how to capitalize on is video games. I mean, I'll, for most of the... I, it seems like you can play your own music on the 360 while you're playing games and stuff. But generally speaking, when you're playing games on a PC or... Well, you have a little bit more freedom on a PC, but like on a PS3 or a Wii or whatever, you're basically stuck, stuck with whatever soundtrack the game has. I think it, mm-hmm. unless you're talking about rock band, yeah, yeah, ex- excluding rock band, Guitar Hero, stuff like that. And I think if they can figure out a way to be to allow you to listen to your own music, like streaming it from like a Last FM or a Pandora while playing, I I think then they'll see things. That would be a whole new opportunity for them. Things might turn around a little bit, but as long as these games have their own original soundtracks and everything it's going to be harder for them to capitalize on that market and they're just going to keep losing more and more market share or timeshare I should say to these more interactive things like video games or maybe um, they the music industry might get a percentage of the video game sales or they get all their monies up front uh, instead of having to sell do all the the merchandising and selling of the, of the music um, I, if I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, um, every time that I've seen an Apple iPod commercial, they have some sort of uh, band music that's built into it. Yeah. And then 
several weeks later, or even several days later, I will hear that music on the radio where I wouldn't have heard it before. And the DJ always comments saying, this is that song from that iPod commercial. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's... It, I think that's where we're moving to, where music is put into places where music may not have been so front and center before. Um, uh, more, more music, more uh, movie soundtracks will probably be sold. Um, more other things that you would think of are just going to be accompanied by music instead of it just being the music by itself. Yeah. Well, and I could go on forever on the concept of why I don't like a lot of modern music, especially out of America. A lot of modern European music I absolutely love just because it's more focused on the music than necessarily the lyrics or whoever's singing it. Mm -hmm. And and that's largely what you have when you're playing video games is they're basically like these symphonic pieces or whatever, depending on the game whether it's like some epic thing or if it's some kind of a horror game or whatever. I think if the music got to be, at least in America, got to be more of a creative thing where it's more about the music than anything else, I think that, I think that would make a big difference, too. Yeah. It's all about experience, and uh, as they're saying that they sell more songs that's tied to a video game than the song itself, because you are able to then relate that feeling that you had while playing the game with the song. And um, you kind of replay the feeling when you replay the song later on. Yeah, I know I've heard a lot of stories about um, artists who've put their music on games like Rock Band and sales have gone through the roof just because of those digital sales on on the game compared to what they were selling them in the stores in an album or whatever. Yeah, So I mean, the, that's the whole thing of the air guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Before there was a rock band, there was the air guitar, and if you could rock out to it with your own invisible guitar, you could relive some of the feeling uh, of being on stage. Um, not shouldn't relive, but you can live that feeling. Um, and the same thing, you just get some of that experience. Yeah. Well, speaking of gaming, apparently, according to an EA executive, the Xbox 360 has already been, the hardware has already been maxed out. Yeah, and this article kind of spins it in a negative way and saying that you know, basically there's no way, nowhere for it to go. But I just think this means that people are used to it and it's a mature platform. Because um, I would say that the Wii's pretty maxed out. I would say the PS2 is pretty maxed out. But they're still coming out with compelling games for both of those platforms. And I think that's the same thing with the 360. Yeah, well, the Wii was maxed out before it ever came out. I mean... Technically speaking, that thing's only, I believe it's only twice as good as the GameCube, which in and of itself was underpowered compared to the PS2 and Xbox. But, yeah, the, this, seem, this article seems to be more like trying to spin it towards the PS3 and that, they ha- that they're still learning how to get the power out of the PS3 with the fact that it has seven cores with the cell processor compared to the three cores of the 360. And so it seems like they're trying to spin it towards the PS, the idea that the PS3 has a longer future compared to the 360. Actually, this goes along with a story I happened to see earlier today, which I don't remember even where I saw it. That apparently they're saying that new consoles could be coming sooner than we think, 
partially because of this reason. Yeah, uh, well, if, if they felt that there's something they want and have to do that they can't do with the current hardware, then that would underst- I would understand that. But um, what we saw or talked about last week about uh, the Project Natal, it sounds like there's still compelling gameplay that can be had from the 360 without a uh, new, new console. Yeah, and, and that, there's some great things that can come from Project Natal, but, I, but I'm thinking that with that and all the stuff that it can do, and I can't remember how many... It seems like it tracks like 36 points on your body or something like that. And with it doing that, that's got to take up a lot of CPU power. So if that if it's taking up a lot of CPU power, that means there's not near as much CPU to go around for anything else, like graphics and whatever that you had before. So the games in and of themselves are probably going to be a little bit dumbed down, you might say, compared to games that you've been playing, like uh, Gears of War. Right, unless we talked about, you know, on live, yeah. Know, if they can off, off, um, put that off to something else, or you know, um, well, that that the, uh, on live was one of the things that was mentioned in that article that I saw today about new consoles being coming out sooner than we expect. If on live is as big of a hit as it thinks it's going to be, which I still have my doubts. I'm, I've signed up for the beta, still haven't heard a thing on it, but if it's as good as it's supposed to be, then they almost need to come out with new consoles because it's going to be a real run for their money. Or they integrate whatever OnLive does into their own console. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, most of the big consoles, I think all of the big current uh, generation consoles have a marketplace. Mm-hmm. So there's a on the components they can buy games um, uh, from like a legacy. Uh, Library that they had before, and then full downloadable games that was announced in the E3 for the Xbox 360, and maybe even next generation PC games on the 360, um, and they just get a cut of that revenue stream. I mean, it, it, they don't have to be direct competitors; they can be a companion to each other. Yeah, well, I, I'm kind of curious. I have a feeling that OnLive is probably going to fail within its first year, maybe two, but that's just me. It seems like they're goal is a little bit lofty from what I've seen of it. So It might fail as an independent product, but it could live on as the next Xbox Marketplace game plug-in thing, the bobber. Yeah, it looks like it's like it looks like it has a great community experience to it, and I think that could translate over to something like an Xbox. But we'll have to wait and see on that one, I guess. Yeah. Well uh, it looks like uh, books are being translated into uh, digital media. Yeah, apparently California, with them being in having a $24.3 billion budget shortfall, I guess they've decided that last year they spent $350 million on textbooks, and that's just too much. So they've apparently, Governor Schwarzenegger has decided that books are antiquated, heavy, and expensive, so they're just going to move over to online textbooks for or at least for starting this August for math and science students. So they'll basically have online texts that have apparently passed some kind of an academic standards review. I guess they'll basically have the same content as the textbooks, but they'll be more up to date and cheaper. I think this is totally the wrong direction. I think California needs to sell video games. <laughs> that's how they make up for the shortfall. 
Yeah. Well, it seems like this is... Actually, this online textbook is something I've been a proponent of since I've been in high... since I used to be in high school. Um, I remember when I was in high school reading a story, I think it was about a school or school district down in Arizona that went completely paperless. They put everything online. All their textbooks were online. They were... They gave everybody laptops, and even then, they were still saving tons of money because they weren't having to buy new textbooks. And then all the material, especially like something for like history books and science books, instead of having to get new editions every year, everything would be updated at a, on a regular basis, almost like a Wikipedia, so you don't have to worry about having outdated information. Yeah, and I, I don't want to say I'm for this, but this would also open up an opportunity for corporate sponsorships. Uh, to schools, uh, they could rotate advertisers for different textbooks, uh, or even uh, for different chapters if they wanted. How they wanted to separate it um, for for you know they could have a Coke chapter about the chemical uh, of uh, the formula of Coke and have that in a in a bio chemistry book. Um, they could uh, they could have like an athletic book or a kinesiology book, and that's sponsored by Gatorade. I mean, there's a ton of stuff that that they could also use to offset the expenses of moving into this digital medium. Yeah, that's one thing I'm I've I'm not sure quite where I stand on is the idea of advertising. Same here. The, Same here, but I'm just saying it's an idea. Yeah, cause I don't remember. It seems like maybe we discussed it or something not too long ago, at least on one of my shows, where a professor was putting advertisement was selling advertisements on his tests. For his regular tests and finals and stuff like that, and based on which one it was and everything, and the placement and everything, he would sell the ads for so much money, and a lot of them apparently were even were just purchased by parents, saying just little um, words of encouragement and stuff, so that people would hopefully do better in their tests. But I, I'm that's I'm totally against that. Yeah, I'm not. Excuse me, I'm not real sure where I stand on the whole idea of advertising. I mean, people are going to get hammered with advertisements anyway, but having it in an educational setting, especially in tests, I'm not sure if I necessarily like that idea. Tests, I'm totally against it, because if the advertising is compelling, or even if it's not, if it's distracting, either way, it's going to be taking time away from taking the test. Yeah. And so I don't see how um, someone who's either distracted or... Uh, is engrossed by an advertisement, um, how they can stay focused at the task at hand, um, especially if they, you know, they're trying to stay focused, and, and and then they have a jingle going through their head because they see a McDonald's ad or something like that. Um, that's just I, I'm totally against that. Yeah. Well, and even if you put it, if you do these ads and like the books and stuff, or this book was sponsored by so and so. You kind of have to walk a fine line. It's like, okay, I mean, a lot of people, especially now that like there's these, um, everybody's trying to be a little more healthy and stuff in the schools. It's like, do we really want this textbook sponsored by Coca-Cola when they right. purchase when they make these kind of drinks and stuff? I mean, there's certain obvious ones. It's like we don't want to sell advertising to like Marlboro or something like that. But there's yeah. some of them, like a Pepsi or something like that, that it's gonna you can kind of go either way. Yeah, but when you're looking at 
$24.3 billion shortfall. Uh, you got to get creative. And it may, I mean, I would rather have them uh, be maybe influenced into some healthy habit, unhealthy habits rather than uh, not having the books at all or having to reduce on teachers or something else. Um, to, th- there's got to be a better way. Um, I mean, this article points out that people that Schwarzenegger brought out that you know people are already using uh, Facebook and all these other, and iPods and Twitter, um, but you know what? Uh, a lot of those mediums have ads on them, or you hear through them through ads, so they're getting them anyway. Yeah, there's lots of new technologies they can take advantage of. I've always been kind of a fan of putting uh, class lectures out as podcasts as a as a way of learning. I mean, there's a lot of things that they can do. The sad thing to me is that it's taking this kind of a financial crisis to get them to move to something like this, and other states aren't even really considering it when they would save. Yeah, this is the equivalent. This is the equivalent of our World War II. Uh, There is a lot of innovation that came out of World War II uh, that allowed the U.S. to leapfrog Europe. And some innovations mm-hmm. uh, coming out of the the the, the war, um, and I think this is part of it too. The whole world is in this crisis, just like the war, and I think this is really um, how the U.S. shines in innovation by taking uh, taking these 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 constraints and innovating out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious to see just if some of these schools become more reliant on Amazon Kindle DXs now that they've started shipping, too. Although I've heard they've already sold out already, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like they can keep up with the production of California. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I guess that's all of our stories for today. I don't think there's any more. Mm, nope. Anyway, yeah, we're running a little, couple minutes long, but that's all right. Uh... Of course, you can find all the stories we talked about tonight, or at least all the main stories, at globalgeeknews.com. And you can also check out the blog at globalgeeknews.com slash blog, or you can just go to the main site and hit blog. I published a good number of stories last week, mainly revolving around um, the PSP Go and E3 were the main things that I talked about last week. So make sure go check those out. Um... Oh, and if you have any comments, suggestions, shoot me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. If you have any suggestions for guests, we should get on the show. It used to be where I would have guests on pretty much every show, but I haven't done that in a while. I think our last guest was uh, Walt Ribeiro, and we haven't really done one since. So I'm throwing around the idea of... I've got a couple of different people in mind, but I'm kind of curious to see who you guys would like to have on the show. So shoot me an email or even send me a Twitter. I am PCNerd37 on Twitter. Just tell me who you'd like to see on the show, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, and just anything that we can do to improve the show, just let me know. Or if you happen to follow me because of the show, let me know that too. Um, yeah. And I believe that goes for you, right, Mr. Wesley83? Yeah, I'm Wesley83 on Twitter. And uh, for this show, I decided to do the podcast Naked. Uh, so let me know if you heard any difference uh, on Twitter. <laughs> uh, so I'll know whether or not to put clothes on next time. <laughs> you joke, but I might just be. 
Can you tell the difference? I'm not, I'm not sure. Let's find out. <laughs> Let me know. Yeah, actually, it is a little hot in here, so I'm wearing a few less items of clothing, but I'm not naked, so... Anyway, that's probably more than everybody needed to know. But, anyway, um, also, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, drop me an email, pcnerd37 at globalgeeknews.com. Uh, same with the blog, too. But I think that's pretty much it, unless you can think of anything. No, see you next week. Sounds good. This has been episode number... 37 of the Global Geek News Podcast. We'll see you guys later.